2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Hebrew James, 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3. So Peter writing here said in verse 1 of 2 Peter 3, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the word that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's one of the reasons why the Lord is delaying his coming because of his graciousness and trying to give men opportunity to repent and to turn to him. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Television commentators have dubbed it the Arab Spring. And that is to say that for months now that several Arab, Muslim, Middle Eastern, North African nations have been in what could be called revolution mode. Popular uprisings all over against despotic dictators, brutal dictators. And that swept through a number of uh, countries, like I've mentioned. And even as we speak tonight, it would seem like that Gaddafi and his sons has been ousted from Libya. Brittle dictator for 42 years who has kept his people in poverty while he has lived as a multi-billionaire. We saw recently in television that uh, Mubarak the long-standing former leader of Egypt is now under arrest 
And even in his hospital bed, he was waited in the court to be tried for war crimes against his own people. President Assad of Syria has murdered hundreds, if not thousands, of his own countrymen to try to hang on to power as long as he can. Now, many of these oil-rich nations, even ones that I haven't mentioned tonight, uh, many of them are finding that their people have risen up and demanded democracy and a better life than they have had for years and years and some kind of liberty. But the question is, who will replace these leaders? That's the big unknown question. Who will replace these leaders, bad as they are? Could it be that the ones who replace them will be even worse? Perhaps that will be the case. Nobody really knows for sure. Uh, will they be Democrats? Or will they be Islamists, hardliners, who will uh, take all those great oil reserves and hold the world to ransom and cause their vitriol to come against Israel, whom they hate with a passion, and the free West that they also hate, only time will tell if that will be the case. As well as that, of course, we're very well aware of increasing toll of natural disasters, tsunamis, earthquakes, typhoons. Even as I speak, a great 600-mile storm has raised up the east coast of America, causing billions of dollars worth of damage, and it hasn't finished yet. First time ever in the history of New York that a large portion of it had to be evacuated. So these things are increasing by the day. Massive storms, threats even of supervolcanoes, I read continually in the papers. Possible asteroid Events hit in the earth. How blasphemous has our TV become and vulgar and crude? It's almost got to the point where what do you watch anymore? Whether it's a soap or whether it's... You're almost got to the stage where only documentaries you can watch. Because it's awful. Particularly in the, in the West. Every weekend there are A&Es that are sprawling with Weekend teenagers who are blitzed out of their mind on binge drinking. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.1, he said, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. I think he was thinking on these days that we're living in. The word he uses for last days means the last of the last days. And, and if you read that description in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of the perilous times that will come, and you cannot deny that it's speaking about today. If ever there was a generation that's talking about it, it's right now. The word he uses for perilous, kalipos, it means fierce, dangerous, unpredictable, harmful, harsh. It's a word that is used in another place in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, where it talks about those demon-possessed men in Gadara. And it says about them they were exceedingly fierce. 
And that's the exact same word that's used, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass by that way. It was too dangerous. It was too unpredictable. It was too injurious. It was too harmful. It was too harsh. People were frightened. And Paul says that this generation today, that's what it's like. And who can deny that? We've seen the London riots. How unpredictable, how dangerous, how cruel and heartless was that? Innocent bystanders with youth going about in great groups was attacking shops and businesses and anybody that got in the way. Did you see that young man on his motor scooter? How he was trailed off it and stolen and how others was... the. The good Samaritans are supposed to be coming to help this young man, a young man from Malaysia. Instead, they beat him, beat him up and stole from his backpack without any compunction whatsoever, without any conscience. Surely when the Apostle Paul says that in the last days, perilous times will come, that's what he's talking about. Do you know if you lived in Israel today and you got on a bus to go to work as hundreds of thousands do every morning in life because they have no other option. You don't know of the person sitting beside you with their backpack as a suicide bomber. You have no idea. <laughs> and many are, and many has died that way. When you get aboard a plane in the Middle East, you have no idea whether it's going to be hijacked or not. With all the security, it's happened and will continue to happen. So the Apostle Paul says that perilous times will come. Jesus, in Luke chapter 21, he describes what it's going to be like in the last days also. In Luke chapter 21 and, and in verse 7, they ask him saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Do you think that on earth today there's people who actually call themselves Christ? I'm just back from Philippines and Ferns country and the last time I was there I particularly looked out for this guy again. He's got a mega church in Davao City. And he calls himself the Son of God. And the people call him the Son of God. Not even a Son of God, the Son of God. He believes that when Jesus went back to heaven God made him the Son of God on earth. And, and you watch the program. And they're singing the old rugged cross. They're singing all those old Gaither songs as well as hymns. And the choir is beautiful and very professional. And their tears are streaming down their eyes and their hands is up thanking Jesus. And they're completely and utterly deceived. They worship a man who says he's the son of God. And Jesus said that in the last days there were people who would come who would say that they are the Christ. And we're living in that generation. And he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. You say, but there's always been earthquakes. That's true. But they're increasing alarmingly. 
Scientists tell us that, not just the Bible. And famines and pestilences. There will be fearful signs and great signs from heaven, whatever that's going to be. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But will turn out to you for an occasion for testimony. Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Do you know that if you're a Muslim today, or you're a Hindu today, or maybe even a Buddhist, particularly a Muslim and a Hindu, and if you own Christ as your Savior, your family will probably kill you and believe that they've done Allah a favor because you've dishonored them and you've dishonored Allah by becoming a Christian. And they will take delight in actually killing you for your faith. That's the world we live in today. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. And by your patience possess your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon his, this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Hitler slaughtered six million Jews. And it's not finished yet. The greatest attack against Israel has yet to come. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. I said before that's probably tsunamis. Man's heart feeling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when you see these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. <sighs> Strong words, eh? And then, in Luke chapter 17, <clears throat> verse 11, no. In verse 20, Luke 17, Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they say to him, they will say to him, look here or look there, do not go after them nor follow them. 
For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed the ball. Even though Noah, a preacher of righteousness, <laughs> yet they would not believe that judgment was coming. And they lived their lives as if nothing is ever going to happen. That's the generation we live in. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said, Where, Lord? He said to them, Wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. And then, just quickly and briefly again, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 24. He talked about the destruction of the temple. Verse 3, Now as he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Let me ask you this question. Who are the two people groups in the world today that are most under attack and despised? The Jews and Christians. And that's going to increase. This is what Jesus is talking about. Then it goes on to say, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then will the end come. And then it goes on to talk about something that's going to happen during the period of the Antichrist. In verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So deception is going to be rife, and it's going to be very strong. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. 
Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east, flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather His elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. I learned the parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will not by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then as the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the man be. Why? That's a lot, isn't it? That ought to make us think. That's a message the world ought to be hearing. But it's not a popular message. It doesn't tickle us. Sure it doesn't. In fact, to many it's a frightening message. But for the believer... It's not meant to frighten us. It's meant to warn us. It should alarm others, but it should warn us of what's coming so that we know what's coming in the days that lie ahead. So what's going to happen? Will this madness go on forever? Or will we implode? Will we self-destruct in an orgy of Dirty bombs and hellish weapons. Because that's all the things that's being predicted is going to happen. Or will God intervene? Will God have the final say? Well, God will have the final say. And God most surely will intervene. In fact, He is going to send His Son Jesus back to earth again. And that's going to be the greatest intervention. And it's going to shake this world its foundations. The most recurring theme in the whole of the New Testament is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. One in every 25 verses speak of it. It's mentioned over 300 times. The Apostle Paul in his letters mentions it more than 50 times. In fact, more than 50 times in the New Testament we're warned to be ready and be prepared and to know that Christ is coming back again. So it, it's written large in the New Testament. This is why we've got to speak of it often to remind ourselves that it's coming. There's more written prophetically about Christ's second coming than there ever was about His first coming. There's more written about this than His, than his, than his birth and His life and His death. There's more written about it than creation. Because God the Holy Spirit wants us to constantly be reminded that God's Son is coming back. Paul says, this know in the last days, perilous times will coming. And the word this know means truly know, really understand, be fully aware, be always conscious and thinking about it. 
Here are three indisputable facts. Number one, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he went back to heaven. Of that, there can be no question. Number two, the Holy Spirit came to this earth and he stayed here ever since. And if you're a believer, you're his temple. And number three, Jesus is coming back to this earth again. Of that, there can be no question. It's been prophetically predicted for centuries. But, Peter says, scoffer says, you see, it hasn't happened. Nothing's changed since the beginning of time. So forget about it. Why concern yourself? Why live any differently? And Peter called them scoffers. And he says, they willingly forget what happened in Noah's day. And he says, that won't happen again. Something worse is going to happen. The world will never be destroyed by a flood, but it will be destroyed by fire. In fact, he says, the very atmosphere is stored up with fire, waiting to be revealed in the last days. So, why is it necessary for Christ to come back again? I mean, why does he have to come back to this? Why, why couldn't he just take us all to glory without coming back again. Why does he have to do that? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons tonight. First of all, his return is necessary. And this is maybe a rather obvious one, but it's important. It's rather necessary to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill Scripture. Scripture must be fulfilled. Every jot and tittle has to be. Remember John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again. I will come back Again, that has to be fulfilled. That scripture must be fulfilled. That is the word of Christ himself. Remember Luke chapter 24, where Jesus met the two after his resurrection who were walking along the road to a mess. And he joined them. And he supernaturally hid himself from them. In other words, they didn't recognize him. And they were very glum and sad. And he says, well, what's the problem, fellas? You, you look very glum and sad. Is, are you a stranger here? Do you not know what's happened? Do you not know about Jesus of Nazareth? Do you, do you know what's going on here this past while? And then he began to open to them the Scriptures. Listen to what it says. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So in other words, he said, listen, all those Scriptures that you have read all those years, that they're speaking about me that you didn't recognize, he opened all those Scriptures, and he says they were all about me. 
And every single one of them, without exception, has been fulfilled. And suddenly, suddenly, their understanding was opened. And for the first time, after all those years of reading those scriptures, they knew exactly what and who he was talking about. And he says, all of these had to be fulfilled. It was absolutely necessary. In Revelation 22, 20, he said, Surely I am coming quickly. It's almost one of the last promises you'll find in Scripture. The last thing Jesus ever said, Surely I am coming quickly. In Mark chapter 14, When Jesus was being before the Sanhedrin, when he was being before the ecclesiastical crowd who was trying him before he'd be crucified. And in verse 61, but he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. <laughs> There's a great promise. There's a great scripture to be fulfilled. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. In Acts 1 and 11, you remember what happened there? Jesus' ascension. After he had spoken to them, verse nine, when they had spoken these things, which now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven?" This same Jesus who was taken from you up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Just as you saw him physically before your very eyes rise up and go into heaven, one day physically before the eyes of men will come back down to this earth. In fact, he's going to come down to that exact spot, by the way. The Mount of Olives. So you see, these are scriptures that have yet to be fulfilled. In Luke chapter 17. Well, we read that together just a moment ago. The Pharisees asked him, but when the kingdom of God will come. And then he goes on to tell him that how his coming would be as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. And so here are many, many scriptures that have to be fulfilled. Now, the reason why they've got to be fulfilled, if he doesn't keep his promise, we can't trust his word. 
If he doesn't keep his promise, then we can't trust his word. So as we see Scripture being fulfilled, as we see his prophetic word being fulfilled, we should be trusting him more and more and more and more. And if Scriptures are being fulfilled in our generation before our very eyes on our television screens, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is. And if that's being fulfilled to the letter, then surely that which hasn't been fulfilled will be fulfilled. It's necessary for him to return to fulfill Scripture because he said he would. It's also necessary for his return to vindicate the martyrs. To vindicate the martyrs. For 2,000 years, Christianity has suffered martyrdom. May surprise you to know that in 2011, not in the first generation of the second, but in 2011, there are more Christian martyrs today than has ever been in history. It's just because we don't live in a country where there's martyrdom, sometimes we don't see it or hear it. You don't see it on your television screens. They're not showing you news at 10 tonight about the Christians who have been martyred in China and North Korea and Indonesia and all these places by atheists and by Hindus and, and oftentimes even by Buddhists, the so-called gentle religion. <laughs> They're not showing you Vietnam or Myanmar, Burma, which it used to be called. They're not showing you these places. They're not showing what's happened. Big business got vested interest in China. And Mr. Obama, America owes China trillions of dollars. So they're not going to complain too much about human rights, particularly against Christians. But it's happening in our generation. It's happening today. Churches being burned in India with the congregation still in them. Rarely do you see it on TV. It's only the organization, the Christian organizations who's working with the persecuted church who highlights this stuff to us. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't know. Pastors are being slaughtered all the time. You know, last Easter, they rounded up many, many Christian pastors in China. And they herded them onto, onto buses and took them away. They've never been seen since. Can you imagine getting out of church some Sunday and a row of buses sitting out there to put you on it to take you away and you'll never be seen again? That's happening today. Wake up, church. The scriptures are being fulfilled today in her ears and in her eyes. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says something about these things here. Hebrews 11, the great roll call of faith, and towards the end of it, it says in verse 35, Women received their dead, raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and dens of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. And it's still happening today. People in hiding in the woods and the forests of North Korea, eating tree bark because they're starving to death. <coughs> Revelation chapter 6. A lot of scriptures tonight, I know that, but Revelation chapter 6. In verse 9 it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So persecution is going to increase and it will increase alarmingly. And so it's necessary for Christ to come back to vindicate the martyrs because they've cried unto him and their blood cries from the earth. And he says, in a while, not complete yet, but in a while, you will be vindicated. Now, his turn is necessary. His return is necessary that the world may know peace. The world doesn't know much about peace. Sure it doesn't. Longs for it. People's crying out for it. Doesn't know how to get it. Politicians are looking for a new world order. As if that was some new bold initiative. They say they want to eradicate terrorism. Well, amen to that. But they're not being very successful at it, are they? They want to bring about a utopian society. Well, they've tried all that before. In 1912 at Geneva, the governments of the world got together. He said that never again would the flower of their youth perish in needless wars. Wonderful aspiration. <laughs> never again, they said. Hmm. Just two years later, 1914, World War I broke out. And millions upon millions upon millions of young men and women perished. And after the horrors of World War I, the Versailles Treaty initiated the League of Nations in Switzerland. And surely this, above all things, would eradicate war forever. Hmm. But 1939 came. Second World War. And this time, 60 million people. Can you imagine? 60 million people perished in World War II. Since then, we have had the United Nations. 
and countless more wars. Too many to enumerate tonight. We need the Prince of Peace to come to this earth, don't we? Because there's not going to be any peace without Him. Without every kind of government you can imagine, dictatorships, democracies, imperialism, republics, totalitarian, ruling families, ruling parties, <laughs> communism, you name it, we've had them all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And none of them has worked perfectly. Most has been an abject failure. Even the very best of them was weak. Arnold Toynbee, the historian, said that 21 of the world's great civilizations, 19, has fallen through decay and corruption from within and to by conquest. And so his return is necessary to bring peace upon the earth. Oh, there's one time he will come for a thousand years and he will rule with a rod of iron and there will be peace. But there's going to come a time where there will be eternal peace because he is the Prince of Peace. We're almost finished. His return is necessary to complete the demise of Satan. The author of all evil, the ruler of all darkness, the God of this world, Prince of the power of the air, his return is necessary to complete the demise of Satan. Satan is living on borrowed time. And he knows his time is getting shorter. He knows it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us something there that I believe is going to happen. Not everybody does. Not every preacher does. But this one does. And I have read nothing or seen nothing that would make me feel any different. I'm talking about the rapture. If you don't believe in the rapture, fair enough, that's your opinion. This preacher does. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ. You see, in 1 Thessalonians, his great emphasis is on the second coming of Christ. There's five chapters, and if you care to read it, at the end of every single chapter, he mentions the second coming of Christ. He didn't spend a lot of time with the Thessalonians. But the little time he did spend with them, that was his great emphasis. He wanted them to know and to understand and to fully know that Christ was coming back. So he says, whenever he was talking about the second coming, they were saying, well, what about the believers? What about our relatives and friends and loved ones and people that we know that has died already in Christ? What, what happens to them? I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up 
together with them. Snatched away it means in ecstasy, in great delight, in a thrilling moment, in an instant of time. We, your life and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we be always with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He says, you don't need to worry about your loved ones. They're okay. In fact, when the Lord comes back, He's going to cause them to rise first. And they'll come with Him. And then we'll go up and meet Him. And meet Him in the air. And all that will happen in a split second, an atom of time. Glory to God. You see, His return is necessary because of her loved ones who have died. His return is necessary to complete the demise of Satan. Now, whenever the rapture happens, for the next seven years, this earth will enter into an unparalleled time of trouble and tribulation like has never been seen on earth before. And that period will be divided into two distinct periods, three and a half years and three and a half years. First three and a half is called tribulation. The second half is the great tribulation. And in that period, there will be several waves of judgment that will come upon the earth. You can read it in Revelation they're given names. There'll be trumpet judgments. There will be vile judgments. There will be bold judgments. There's all kinds of judgments. There's, there's going to be a series, three series of seven judgments that will come upon the earth. Each one will increase intensity and intensity until the end. And then at the end of this, something wonderful is going to happen. Hmm. In, ever, in Revelation chapter 19, Now I saw heaven open. This is verse 11 of Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him in white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he is on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of the new heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. This is speaking, by the way, about the battle of Armageddon when it's won. <laughs> There's going to be a great feast for the vultures and the birds of the air. 
that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and those who sit in them, the flesh of all the people, free and slave, bond and free and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, the beast is the Antichrist, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from his mouth, and him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And he was, after a thousand years, released for a little while. And again, he gathers the nations together against Christ. Can you imagine? One last go. How does that work out? Well, listen to it, verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Amen. <laughs> you see, it's necessary for Christ to come back to complete the utter demise of the devil. Glory to God. Now, as we finish, before we do anything about Christ's second coming, we've got to make sure we've done something about His first coming. Hmm. See, if we have done something about His first coming, what did He come for? To seek and to save those who are lost. To win them to himself. And if we have done something about his first coming, then we should not be frightened of his second coming. We should welcome it. But if we haven't done anything about his first coming, then the earth is not going to be a place you're going to want to be. Because I've only scratched the surface of what's going to happen. So either this book is true, or it's fables and stories, and we might as well put it away, lock the door, and live like the devil. But if it's true, and all the things I've told you tonight are true, they will happen just as the Bible said, as Jesus predicted, then we've got to do something about His first coming. What is that something? Receive Him as our Savior. Bow our knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
and say, Lord, I want to be a follower of you. I'm living in the last of the last days. I want to be caught up. I don't want to be caught on. I want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, Paul said. Great comfort to know that Christ is coming back. And this old world that's in a mess and a state that's increasingly get more evil and wicked as the day passes, that one day it will come to an end. And righteousness will reign and rule upon the face of the earth through Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us to put our trust completely in you. And help us to trust your word. Your word that never fails. Your word, Lord, that for generations has been a strength and a help to millions of believers. Your word, Lord, that's true and infallible. Your word that will always come to pass. That not one word will fall to the ground. That every promise, that every prophecy, that every scripture will be fulfilled as you have spoken. So Lord, would you help us to live for you in the light of your coming. To be ever conscious that it could be at any moment. That you could come at any time. And Lord, we live in the light of that. And so we give you glory. We thank you for your word that's true and real and genuine. And we bless you for it. In Christ's name. Amen.